this is like the core problem. For the last 100,000 years, all human advancement has been human-driven. And now we're decoupling humans from, from that advancement. And what does that mean for us? Like, what is our role? Gertie Gallery at the minute. How's it like running, operating, curating a gallery space with no experience? Uh, look, I've got to. I've got to be honest. It's it's challenging. There are certainly challenges about it that I I hadn't anticipated. So when uh, and I've been look. This is a project I've been thinking about for twenty years. Like I had my um, yeah. The, the genesis of it goes back, yeah, about 20 years when I started thinking about, you know, I was in my early 20s and I, you know, there was an opportunity to rent some space in Kensington and I started thinking, oh, you know, what could I do with, you know, what would I like to do with my life? You know, what's, what's something that's going to be meaningful to me? And I had this concept for a gallery space and music and a bit of this and a bit of that and like a try to make a bit of a cultural hub. And then, of course, you know, life happens. You end up in a career doing a lot of different things. And um, at the end of COVID, um, I found myself asking myself those same questions. Yeah. Right? How so do you just, reel it back in? And- yeah, yeah. And look, this, um, this place became available to me. And I just thought, you know, this could be something I could, I could resurrect that dream. And and uh, and see if I could you know make a go of it. So, so twenty years ago, twenty years, ago, and we we spoke about this. We'll be coming on two years now. <clears throat> I don't think it was fully realised two years ago. You had maybe acquired the space mm-hmm. then, uh, but I think it was still operating under a different umbrella altogether. Right, two years ago. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and a lot has changed in that two years as well. Um, we'll get on to how AI has played a role into that because that probably wasn't something that you would be able to anticipate. I mean, obviously not. But 20 years ago when it was a gallery space and then your life had kind of just started doing its own thing because you moved into industrial design. Um, take me through that, man, because you've worked on a whole bunch of different projects, working on different levels of design. And mm-hmm. so, how did that start off? Tell me, take me through that. So, yeah, the um, I was actually enrolled. So, after high school, I was enrolled uh, to do philosophy literature, um, and I hadn't. I was still, you know, at that age, you're still sort of discovering yourself, yeah. right? And it was maybe two weeks into that course, and I went to the Melbourne Motor Show. When they still had motor shows, um, and there were these, like, it was like, it was like almost the end of the last day, and there were all like things were getting packed up, but there was one stand from RMIT, and there were a bunch of people standing around carving cars out yeah, of clay. Yeah, I remember those. Yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, I saw it, and I just thought, that's that's so amazing. Like I've always loved sculptural things, and I just I saw these people doing it, and I said, so what is this? And they said, oh, this is actually a course that we run at RMIT. Mm. So I asked about it and I said, well, it, is it possible to join? They said, no, this is the last year that the course will ever be run um, and enrolment's full. 
we're just here for <laughs> obligation, you know, so, so you can't join. And that night I went home and I bought a bunch of modelling clay and some some sketchbooks and stuff and I started sketching and I started that I spent I was up all that night like making a car out of clay and it was probably pretty crap <laughs> um, but I was very proud of it like it it you know it was something the next day I boxed it all up put together a bit of a portfolio went into RMIT and I just kind of said look I want to join what can I do with this what can I do please will you you know will you reconsider and they said no no it's full and then later on I went to the course coordinator and I said I really want to join and it just went on and on like that um and by the end of that day they said fine we'll uh, we'll let you in um and so that was how I got persistence it was persistence and it was yeah just um one of those one of those things it just it struck a chord with me You've always been a creative person. How did you channel that before you discovered, before you went to the, the, the motor show? Because we're talking about there is a disparity between having, running an art gallery, right? So that the dream of running an art space to be like, hey, shit, you know what? Industrial design, cars. What, what's that bridge there? Where, 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 where was that genesis? Um, look, to, to be honest, when, you know, before that car show, I always just wanted to be, I thought I was just going to be a writer, right? Which is where the philosophy literature thing came in. Um, And it was just, it was just one of those like flashes of something. I just saw it and it just, it just touched me. Like it really, really grabbed me. And I just, it just looked, it was something that felt so raw. You know, you're using your hands to form something and you're expressing something that you're exploring. And I think that was what, that was what, at the very core of it, what I loved was that, you know, you're using this like deep human ability that we've got to imagine and then you're creating a, you know, a form from it or, you know, um, whether it's, whether it's in writing or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, in painting, whatever it is, it's just like giving voice to that like. Yeah. deep explorative you know thing that we've got inside us the thing the thing that i love about industrial design <clears throat> especially when you're talking about something like um you know coming up with concepts of motor vehicles is the challenge of dealing with natural elements with physics mm-hmm. as well right like i could draw something a two-dimensionally and i don't have to worry about much else it's like i can just put it down and it is what it is whereas you're now having to make considerations for the materials that you use, accounting for all those things, the designs that the cars have that have consideration for wind resistance just makes it look more awesome as well. Yeah. 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 I think, you know, physics is actually, I mean, think about a bird, Mm. right? Think about how, yeah. yeah, So you're talking about an animal that evolved from dinosaurs to have hollow bones, um, to be so like there there's nothing on a bird that doesn't need to be there. Yeah, right? it's hydrophobic. It's, yeah, 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 right. And, and it purely optimised for for what it's, you know, for the function of flight. Yeah. Um, and every other system in its body has had to be, you know, evolved to be like um, optimised for weight saving and optimised for, you know, everything for, for that ability. And So you draw a lot of inspiration from nature. You'd have to, right? 
it's I mean it's incredible, yeah. right? You you know something these these organisms that have been evolving for billions of years <clears throat> in one way or another, you know, like bouncing off yeah. uh, the limitations of the physical world and, you know, coming up with solutions that sometimes work better and sometimes, mm. you know, it's that, that what optimization means. It's been tested you know, already. It's, it's been tested, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and so in that same way, you know, I guess as, a, as somebody that's working on, on products um, that have to exist and function in the real world, bouncing off the physical limitations of, mm. you know, of what it means to, to be in the world and, and, and function. Um, yeah, you, you, you're tested. It, you know, you're, you're testing things. Yeah, it is yeah. the ultimate balance between, you know, that, that whole form versus function. Totally. You know, having to account for both. And, um, you know, do you spend a lot of time looking at, at the world in that way when you, when, you, when you look at the design of something and you're like, why, why do they make that design choice? And what are the, what are the sacrifices that they had to make to in, implement that? Um, you know, the, the classic one would be Apple, the mm. mouse, mm. how they put the charger down the bottom. Give us your take on that. Like how... how Who's okay? So, firstly, why do you think that was? I've, I'll, I'll give you my rationale as to why mm -hmm. I think that they did that. And I, I mean, look, a lot of people think that it was a poor design choice. Mm -hmm. What do you reckon? Well, okay, tell yeah. me yours first. If you've got, you've already got a theory about it. Okay, my yep. theory is that they obviously did that knowing exactly what they're doing, right? Mm. If you're going to have a mouse where you're able to use plugged in, you're going to leave it plugged in. Okay. They don't want you to use it plugged in. Okay, that's yeah. what I hadn't actually I hadn't actually thought of that. So they're going to make okay. it inconvenient for you to plug it in, so that way you can charge it up, let it sit there, mm -hmm. non-functional. Yeah. Then you've got to use it as they intended. Okay, that's a really good point. That's yeah. a really really good point. I hadn't considered that before. Um, it just means it looks so awkward when it's plugged in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you know, a company like Apple. I'm sure they've got a vision for how they how they like you know their exactly. workspace to look. Exactly. Um, and you're you know that vision includes like things being as elegant and mm -hmm. streamlined and wireless as yeah. much as possible. And you're right. You know, people would leave it plugged in. Yeah. But I guess is like what I was just getting at. Like, do yeah. you would you spend? Because I would look at logos. I look at ads. I mm -hmm. look at anything that is communicating something visually. Mm -hmm. And I'll break that down and I'll analyze that. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, why did they make that design choice? Yeah. What would I have done? I was like, you know what? I could have, I would have changed this, I would have changed that. Or I think they did all right. I think that was, that was a pretty good job. I think like, it, it does what it needs to do. Mm -hmm. Do you see the world through that lens? Do you analyze objects that way? Endlessly. Yeah. Like I can't walk into a room without, you know, sort of deconstructing it, without asking, you know, like, why is the layout like this? Or, yeah. you know, I can't get into a car without asking that question. Everything that I look at is through that lens. Um, and it's a very, very, like, it's a great way to be able to think if you are a designer because you're constantly exercising that part of your brain. Yeah, yeah, true. Yeah, yeah, yeah because everything in design is a decision. Yeah. It's not like the, you know, it's a group of people sitting around trying to find an outcome balancing you know economics and practicality mm. and what's what's possible 
um, and trying to find a solution. It is a balancing act. It's a, it's, it's a whole bunch of bringing things into alignment. There's just a great deal more consideration that needs to be made yeah. when you're talking about doing things, designing things industrially. You know, the, the challenges of, again, of physics and materials. You know, I mean, there, there'll be some things that I would have to consider, you know, like in terms of printing, but, you know, like it's really not going to be as um, as broad as having to look at how what materials could use a car so it's going to crumple mm. in the right way. Um, or in your case, and with with yachts, designing yachts, we'll talk about that. But how do you make something sturdy but still lightweight and buoyant? Uh, and then the, the consideration of it having to, to maneuver through water, the speed. It's a lot. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it is. It is, and look, and traditionally, I think the way that um, the way that products, anything that we make, you think about the history of stuff, and I think about the history of stuff a lot, mm. right? So the human relationship to being able to craft something out of the the things that we can get our hands on and manipulate. Yeah, you know, we're talking about you know, I don't know what a hundred thousand or the order of about a hundred thousand years, mm. right? And the very very first stuff that we could manipulate was, you know, was timber. Yeah. Um, it was, you know, like fire, you know, fibrous stuff that we could, we could wrap around something, yeah. stone um, and some leather, right? That was, that was kind of the, that That's was it. the limitation yeah. to what we could, what we could use. And now, you know, you think about, you think about microprocessor uh, oh, manufacturing, dude, so, right? Yeah. When you're talking you know what, what? What's a what's a um, the gate width in atoms now for like the current generation? It's like forty five atoms wide or something for a um, a processor. For, yeah, really? Yep. 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 Jesus. Yeah, you're right. And how so, much? How much is that able to to compute? Well, I mean, take something like the iPhone chip, right? The yeah. chip on the the current generation iPhone. Yeah. I think it was eleven billion transistors. And That's now you look at it like, it's, yeah, it's crazy, right? It's insane. And look at how small it is. Yeah. And then you think about the fabrication facility that you need to yeah. have to build something like yeah. that. And then you have to think about the fact that they make how many, I don't know, how many hundreds of millions a year. Yeah, we were, we were just talking about how like we've just become so accustomed to wanting things mm. and right now if you're able to like, you can take a deep dive into what goes on in, a, in one of those factories and what we're capable of doing with these microprocessors. And then if we don't get these massive updates from year to year, we're like, look at this shit. Mm -hmm. what's, what's this junk? Yeah. You know? I mean, if somebody handed you um, an iPhone from 2013, yeah. right? You'd be like, and it's this thing's miraculous, <laughs> right? It's, 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 yeah, but they'd be like, piece of junk, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. We've become addicted to like growth to growth yeah so accustomed to seeing this it's yeah and i i suppose that this is going to be there has to be some sort of uh evolution of this mm. i think the phones have have maxed out in some capacity that we're expecting too much we've just been seeing the year on year progress and the change mm. from that to the point where okay we um what can i do now to satiate the the market's desire 
or is it just a matter of us having to become more accustomed to like a you know we just got to start expecting less i all right well i i think this is probably if i were to take a guess on mm. what the what the next the next like um big impactful thing will be with that technology i'm going to i'm going to say it's going to be ai like the inclusion of ai in your in your phone mm. and access you know the way that we are able to access you know i think that's going to be i think that's going to be big yeah I've, i i use um the chat gbt app mm-hmm. as now whenever i have a question right? yep. i'm asking that i'm not i'm not even bothering with google's like no 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 yeah don't give me a list of resources give me an answer yeah yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. and it's that's powerful that's powerful on something that's a year old, two years old, maybe in the public domain, yeah. Mm-hmm. But you know, I wonder how long that this has been a work in progress for. Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting if you go back. If you go back like twelve years or something, um, there was there was this documentary I was watching a while ago, and it was from like 2010, 2011, and they were trying to get computers to do a, a image recognition. Right? Yeah. And they were talking about how hard it was for a computer to recognize a cup. Okay. And it was like really, really hard. It's like, oh, this is, this is just, there's just so much. Um, and this was before like the advent of um, neural network. Mm-hmm. Um, and you couldn't feed you, it information. You couldn't feed it information yeah. in this way. The, the scale wasn't there and like the, the labeled images just, I don't know, people just hadn't, hadn't harnessed that in a in a meaningful way and going from that to where ai is today yeah i don't think anybody realized at the time how powerful it would become yeah i don't like, know so, man. So, quickly, uh, science, so quickly so quickly yeah, yeah maybe yeah, yeah. yeah but i think science fiction has proven that you know we've got some pretty wild imaginations to where it's going to go totally totally then that, then that that begs the question of where is it going to be in 12 months time and then even you know five years that's that's pretty scary and I think at that point we can't even fathom we can't yeah yeah totally yeah <clears throat> so going back then let's let's we can loop this back to what you're doing with Gertie Gallery mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a lot that we can unpack with that because you know you were saying that it all started off from a childhood dream or a you know young adolescent twenty year old dream of opening up your own gallery and curating it. But then you've brought in a lot of your experience that you've accumulated in the 20 years since then. And one of which is that when we spoke about, uh, when you told me that you were opening up this gallery a couple of years ago, and even in that time, AI wasn't much. There was, there was, there was nothing, there was, there was no need to have any conversation about it. It wasn't really even AI. Mm. And since then, it has really blown up. And you have also managed to integrate that in your work, your personal work. So tell me about the what you're doing with the space by introducing your work firstly and then how AI has affected that process. All right. So um well just for background for the listeners. Yeah. You're talking about the 3D printing. Yeah, side the furniture of things. stuff. Yeah. Okay, cool. So actually we don't even we haven't even got on the 3D printing. Let's <laughs> let's get on yes, let's talk about that. Let's talk about the 3D printing. All right. So um, you know, again going back a few years, it was sort of end of COVID and trying to work out, you know, what um 
I guess I was at a state in my life where I had the opportunity to sort of make some changes, yeah. right? And and re redesign. Like I call this like designing a life, right? So yeah. in the same way that I would design a product, I thought if I was going to reconfigure my life from scratch, how would I design a life and a career and you know? Yeah. Um, and so I started, I started thinking about that, and I was looking at being a designer. You have to think of it in these terms. If you're a designer for products, you get plugged into another business, right? Yep. yep. It's very, you know, you have your your ideas and your, your ability and your skill set. Um, and you, you, you're like, yeah, you're like a... a um, you're, you're like an application that will build a, uh, a company. <clears throat> but it could even not even a product. It could be just like that component. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Totally. But anything, you know, you're tied to manufacture. Yeah. Right? So you're tied to an industry, you're tied to a business, um, and you're tied to their capacity to manufacture. Um, and I kind of like the idea of being divorced from from that, being able to be a designer um, that was mm. making making products, um, but had the ability to uh, make high-quality things that were really interesting and innovative and groundbreaking, um, but not necessarily tied to um, uh, mass manufacture. Yeah. So large-scale 3D printing was what I chose because I thought it gives me a lot of scope um, and I thought there could be some really interesting opportunities there. So I bought the large, like this giant yeah, 3D that, printer. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Um, and, you know, I, I sort of went on this journey of starting to produce large-scale 3D printed furniture and sculptures. And, um, you know, I'm constantly exploring what sort of other products you can, you know, you can produce using this. Mm. So I get to utilize all of my design skills. <clears throat> I get to utilize all of the contacts that I've made over, you know, over this um this career um so i get to exercise but yeah you're exercising a lot of freedom in design as well yeah right so and that was really exciting it's for me opens up the doors isn't it like i mean totally. at least it's the, the imagination totally right so you look at any any manufactured product um you you have like uh, the couch we're sitting on Mm. Right. What are your limitations? You, you you go and work for a couch factory. What are your limitations going and working for them? The limitations are what that what that industry can actually build. The materials they can they can uh, manipulate, mm -hmm. like what they can source, what they can what they what they can do, what their machinery is capable of. That's your that's they're your brackets, yeah. right? That's what you've got to to work with. Um, and I like the idea of, of taking a lot of those away um, or exploring new ones. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's, there's there's that, that balance as well when you have to work within your limitations. It makes, in some cases, it makes the job easier. Mm -hmm. It's like when if, if I was to be given a brief <clears throat> and they say, hey, just go for it. Mm -hmm. And it's some, somewhat daunting yeah. as well. Yeah, totally. Totally. You, you don't know what your what the expectations are. You don't know what the requirements are. It's it's what like what do you do? What am I supposed to do? Yeah. It's it's really like having having um, having something to fall back on. Mm. You know, you could um, you know you you've always got that luxury of being able to look at what your competitors are doing. Yeah, 
right? And if you think about design um, in that space, like for products, um, you, yeah, I guess that's that's something you can always do. You in the marketplace, how will this be compared to, you know, your competitors? Is, right? is there's there's not much going on in manufacturing. I'd say not much. A lot has been happening with three D printing, mm-hmm. but it still doesn't seem like a viable option. Mm. Yeah, is it yeah. is it is it just the cost right now that's that's not opening up the doors to having everything three D printed? Um, look, I think I I don't actually know why. Um, I think at the moment that like the the vast majority of three D printers, you know, are like a two hundred and fifty or three hundred mil cube. Mm. Right, so scale, yeah, scale has been an issue. Yeah, um, the other things, um, you know, people, most of what people like, I'd say ninety nine percent of what is being produced is, um, you know, the people are making for themselves are like little trinkets, like a little yeah. Yoda's head pencil holder. It's you know some figurines, and that's all great. But um, then you know, there's only so much function. That people have, um, yeah, yeah, and part of that's material based as well. Yeah, right? also I guess time, time for uh, production. Exactly, like it's, yeah, totally. Like you, you know, a plastic injection um, a plastic injection um, molding machine um, can print out thousands and thousands of really high quality, yeah, um, durable plastic products every day. Yeah, um, and you know. With 3D printing, it's yeah, it's a slow process. Yeah. yeah. So I looked at what was, um, you know, if you could remove the limitations of uh, of scale, right? So if you can pr- print large stuff, um, and you know, you are printing to, and I'm I'm making things for a, um, you know, for like this is premium. I'm printing, you know, trying to make premium products. Yeah. Um, and they need to be just for the fact that, you know, it can take a week or 10 days yeah. to produce something. Um, I, I just thought it was really interesting to explore what you can do with form when you take away traditional limitations on how things can be produced. Yeah. Because yeah. you've got some pretty, pretty wicked sculptures that you're working on. Thanks, man. They're, yeah. And when you do open up those limitations then the designs can be pretty pretty wild um but then there's also other than the sculptures that you're working on there's the more practical uh design pieces you know when you're working on different furniture as well so now it just brings you back to the old or bringing back a lot of the traditional type thinking of having to balance out form and function Mm -hmm. as well but is there much of a difference when, when you talk about 3D printing, does that component in itself open up the scope of what you can do in terms of form or what you can do in terms of function? Oh, uh, yeah, it's amazing. Like as a, as a designer, yeah. you, yeah, like I, I guess I would say that I have to, it was a big learning curve to think about um, printing at, you know, at large scales, right? Yeah. Um, there, are limit, there are limitations. Um, you know, people say you know you can put you can put you can put material anywhere in the in the, the build volume, yeah. right? So any form is theoretically possible, and that's kind of true. But you know, 
we're talking about, you know, we're talking about very fine resolution at scale. There are there are limitations to, you know, how you can make things work and just functionally uh, or practically how much sacrificial material you have to, you need for, for some pieces yeah, as yeah. well. Um, so, you know, it's been like the last, the last two years have been sort of seeing how to optimize, um, you know, strength um, and durability uh, to make to make things functional but once you've sort of learnt those boundaries mm. it opens up just like yeah, yeah man because so you were much. testing one of those those um those pieces when you were just standing on it and just sort of like jumping on it it didn't look like it should carry that weight right and it, i mean considering relatively how light that was as well it was super super sturdy yeah and look that was that was two years of just really like optimizing really really like deeply working on okay so how, how do you how do you make something that's going to look like it's really like lithe and thin yeah um but also be really strong and functional and functional yeah so that's that's the the plan for the the gallery space is now just to transition and to introduce a lot of your work in there uh, and to showcase what can be done mm. with uh with this new technology and now this brings back brings us back to uh, AI. Mm-hmm. Now <clears throat> there's been no, obviously a lot of conversation in the in the creative space about how AI is going to affect the way that we work, and we've we've talked about this. And what I really liked was your approach and understanding of not being too combative with it, but implementing it into your workflow and to see how best you can utilize it as a tool because a lot of the conversation that's that's been had around it is how much is it going to take over Mm. rather than how best we can work with it so talk talk about how you have introduced it into your workflow you know the idea behind what i'm doing with the 3d printing as an example Mm. um in fact what i should probably do is talk about the gallery, yeah, and what this what this technology, uh, what why this technology, I think, is going to be interesting. So the gallery space is a place that you know is you know I'm representing art and sculpture and design pieces um, with the idea of building community, mm. right, and getting people to giving people a place to come to um, experience art and be you know introduced to creators. the The 3D printing side of things was always supposed to be uh, collaborative as well, right? Yeah. So I always had the the vision that I'd be, you know, you're creating a, um, you're sort of creating a process that you can share with other people. So being able to have these great collaborative experiences with other designers and artists and sculptors to explore what could be done with, you know, form and what could be done with with different products or sculptures was really exciting to mm. me right that's like that's like a dream in the same way that it like musicians jam yeah, yeah yeah having like a few people like working and exploring on something is just like it's just it's awesome um and now now with the advent of ai um i know i almost feel like in some way yeah um this is kind of unlocking opportunities and ways of thinking about about form that I had never experienced before, you know? Is, does it add a different dimension to it in the sense that 
we we're, we're limited by what our experiences, mm. right? So you know, we can only work within first of like our our five senses and everything that we've learnt in the the time that we've been on Earth on this planet. But with AI, has it at, is it at the point where it's transcending the way that we are limited in thinking as humans? Um, in, in, in the creative sense, that is. In the, in the creative sense, I've seen things, and I use it a lot. Yeah. You know, I, um, it used to be that if I wanted inspiration, I'd go and buy a magazine. Mm. Like you, could, you scroll on Pinterest or something and you, you know, you, you can find inspiration anywhere. Yeah. You know, it doesn't have to be, you know, you can look through, um, you could be innate, you know, something about, you know, something from the natural world or something cosmological. You can get inspiration anywhere, but, you know, I, you're always looking for something to spark yeah. an idea. Um, and I would say, you know, when I, when I first started using uh, AI, when I think it was like the, one of the beta releases of DALI, mm. This is going back like a year. Um, and the stuff I was getting out of of Dali at that time was, it was okay. Mm. Like there were some things you think, oh, you know, there's something interesting there or maybe it's something new. But most of what was coming out was pretty garbage. Yeah. Since then, uh, you know, I used Midjourney a lot. And since then, it's like month by month, I've seen the, like, like the quality of the design, like the quality of, you know, what's coming out has just increased massively. You plug in some keywords and say, this is the inspiration, go yeah. for it. Yeah, it's great. It's it's really, really powerful. And you just come up with, you, I don't know, maybe, maybe I end up with like 200 images in front of me and you can sort of pick a bit of this and mm. a bit of that and it might just spark. I use it as a way of sparking ideas. Yeah. Yeah, and that's really powerful for me. Yeah, there's there's still that. There's, okay, so with with creativity, there's a couple of ways that I look at it, right? So there's the whole creativity is it stems from a need to solve a problem or mm. to express some kind of emotion, right? Mm. So with the the creating for creativity's sake to evoke some kind of sentiment, I can see how. Um, it's able to do that, but in a really, in a bizarre way of uh, not being able to necessarily tap into what that emotion or sentiment is, but able to create work that can replicate it. it, it it's starting to understand if we wanted to feel something, you know, you pick any kind of emotion and you ask it to, to create a piece of artwork that evokes that, it can get it around about. It knows what are the triggers for that. And then with problem solving in terms of uh, design, um, how well does it understand the problem that it's trying to to solve? But I don't know how well it can do the two of them mm. together, right? And I think that, that that's that's something that might take a bit of, a bit of time. I don't know how, or how soon we'll be able to cross that bridge. Yeah, I, I think... You know, in terms of in terms of the the logical processes it's able to apply mm. to design problems, I think there's still there's still years to go. 
you know, like it's it, it's coming up with pretty pictures, in, yeah. you know, stuff like Mid Journey, um, but you'll still have elements floating in thin air or, you know, it still comes up with things that aren't, aren't possible. It's not taking into account the physical world this yeah. thing's got to operate in. Yeah. Um, but I do wonder if that's only going to be, you know, like a short matter of time. Yeah, because like you were saying, like pretty pictures, no worries. It, it, it you know, knocks that out of the park. Mm. But then like what you were saying early on is like, what's a cup? Yeah. Right? Like design yep. me a cup. Yeah. Right? And, then, and then that's that's when it's like, ah, shit, what's a cup? Yeah. And, and probably, look, it could come up with a thousand really great images of really interesting cups. Mm. But if you... It always at the moment it all has to go through layers of human interpretation yeah. to turn that into something, you know. So um, I do okay. So I run all these thought experiments on what I what I think. Yeah, shoot. You know, needs to happen before this can become more valuable. One of the um, you know one of the thought experiments I I started running a while ago was asking myself at what stage. So I think about a car company, right? I worked mm. for GM for a lot of years yeah, yeah. Um, in the design department. And at what stage can you give an AI the problem of designing a production car um, and it being able to generate all of the, I guess, all of the CAD data to put that thing into production, including things like, you know, the layout of the factory, the, you know, the way that components nest together, the way that, you mm. know, basically replacing the job of the 500 engineers and the accountants and the designers and all of the people related to that scope of work. At what stage will it be able to do that? Yeah. And I see it getting to that end as inevitability. Like there is going to be a point in the future. 100%. Right? So it's a question of when. Mm. Um, and that means it has to understand not only, I mean, at the moment, yeah, it could come up with a picture of a car, but to take into account, you know, the way that steel folds, you know, and, and crushes mm. under, um, under a crash condition. Um, the way that it's formed, you know, when, when presses operate, you know, um, seat deformation, you know, when a person sits on it, all of these millions of little things that thousands and thousands of engineers and designers and, um, you know, fabricators have to think of, all of this embedded knowledge that goes into something like that um, for a product of which you're building a giant factory to make a million of them. Yeah. Because there's a lot of it that is that I don't want to say comes down to intuition because that 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 intuition would be from repeated hours and hours and hours of doing the same thing mm -hmm. and then making those same making the mistakes and then refining that making those mistakes refining that mm. and then this is a process till you get to a certain point like this is this is the outcome this is the ultimate outcome but behind that outcome there's thousands of ones that didn't work out mm. and it could be down just to real small design consideration you know like if you're talking about a particular curve over a bonnet in if we're talking about cars it could be you know like all those things that you said but also just considering like just the wind flow all of these things and then it just becomes intuition so if you're a designer that has been working 
that has been designing cars for years, you will just know to do this, not that. Mm-hmm. And you don't, it, it, you don't, you're not even thinking about it. You're just doing it. And then when you have um, accumulated this wealth of knowledge, this, this library, this bank, you're able to then develop things without the thought. But then when that gets inputted into AI, AI doesn't know all the things not to do, yeah. right? But it, yeah. so how did, how does how would it then consider that? I guess the you know we when you think about when a person knows not to do something, mm. right? We, um, you know, we somebody will tell us, somebody might explain to us like, oh, you can't. There is something. Um, you know, can I move this object here? You know, we'll talk about the car situation. Can mm. I do this or can I do that? And an engineer might come and say, you can't do that for this reason. Or somebody from sales and marketing says, well, you can't have hot pink for the fact that no one will buy it. Yeah. You know, um, you, 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 we have all of these barriers, all these boundaries that, you know, we, we build up like a, as in a map in our mind yeah. for what you can and can't do. That kind of gives us the scope of what's possible. Um, and I think AI is really good at dealing with those. Okay. Yeah, I think it is. But it needs, um, if it could, and I guess at the core of that thought experiment, if it had the same, um, the same levels of uh, restrictions of the boundaries that we put on anything that we make, what would it come up with? How, you know, um, what sort of solutions could it find um, that we're currently maybe blind to. So do you those those limitations, mm-hmm. and that's what I was saying. Is like some uh, we're very conscious of, and some mm-hmm. of them we're no longer conscious of because it's just been embedded into how we do things. We 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 can explain the why if we want to explore it. You know, like we made this choice. Why? Because of this. Why? Because of that. You can peel back those layers. Mm-hmm. But if AI if it doesn't understand the why mm. or the why to the why, yep. then how does it start compounding what is going to be the optimal design? So I think this is going to be a question of how it simulates, yeah. right? And I think... Yeah, real world use real, of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So in terms, of, in terms of physicality, I think the quality of its simulation is going to be unbelievable. Yeah. Right? So... It could be doing background simulations on like pedestrian safety. Mm. It can be. It could run, um, you know, as it's developing a design for something. It can be doing wind testing. It can be doing occupant test safety testing. It can be doing uh, pedestrian safety testing, all in the background as like a physics simulation, while it's generating yeah, the rest design. of the design of the shape. Yeah. I guess what's really exciting for me though, um, so many of the things that I experienced, you know, working in automotive for a while, uh, for quite a while, um, was when you get pushback on something, mm. The so often the reason was because we have, a, you know, we do this because that's we've developed a solution for it. It might be a 50-year-old solution Right? Why? Why do we? Why does a window wind up this way and not some other way? So, well, we have a well-tested, well-thought-out solution for it, um, and to try and come up with something better would be a lot of like tens of thousands of engineering hours. Like yeah. Engineers sitting there 
iterating on something further. And it's like, why would we do that if we already have a solution? Yeah. Right? Okay. Now, if an AI were to come up with a car from scratch with none of those boundaries, right, where it just has to put more processing time into optimizing everything, mm-hmm. um, what gains could possibly, what gains could it find? What solutions would it find um, that we currently can't come up with because it just doesn't make financial, it does make economic sense? Yeah. Yeah. Could we be driving around in cars that are 30% lighter? Possibly. Yeah. Right? Meaning that, you know, you only, you know, maybe... Um, and you think about what sort of efficiency uh, we gain as a society if, you know, um, if things are cheaper to make, easier to make. Um, so, then AI will also need to have a real high degree of innovation plugged into that as well. I think it's going to happen naturally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so if it's if it's if the optimize yeah, okay, if the focus is on optimizing the economic um the the economic outcome, um it is going to make things cheaper to produce. Yeah. If it's optimized to do, you know, a network of things, so make it cheaper to produce, make it safer, make it quieter, make it more efficient, it will be able to iterate Orders of magnitude faster than we can. Absolutely, yeah. No, I, I see that. I see that. And it could yeah. be a matter of like, you know, it'll come up with a design and then, you know, to to the human eye, like we can't do that because of this particular material. The material won't be able to fold in this way. Mm. And then they'll be like, well, it just so happens I've just now come up with this new material. Here's this new compound. Exactly. Based on all this other shit that has been you know, fed to me. Exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. And of course, you'll have, you know, when you, you, think, about, um, you think about the way humans work. All right, so in a large company with hundreds of thousands of people, um, you know, I give you know, you as a team is solving a problem, mm. right? You go off and you work as a team to come up with an outcome. You come back and you know, I present, you know, the uh, my side of the um, the solution. You present your side of the solution. We see where they don't work. Um, then we go off into our silos again. We yeah. work on them, and the iteration takes it's slow. Yeah, and this is this would be like boom, boom, instant. Yeah, yeah. So because it's one singular system that doesn't have um, doesn't have to go through that process. Mm. The outcome is yeah. So and um, I guess the yeah going back to the thought experiment. At what stage will an AI be able to do the rudiments of that? And I mean, I I think it's like 15, 20 years. So then let's just say, let's just look at the knock-on effects of that, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have AI, one singular processor mm-hmm. that can do the job, the jobs of thousands. Mm-hmm. So now we have thousands of people that um, don't have that a role yep. in that in that in that particular process. So. In terms of what 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 would the the knock on effects of that be then? Because I'm thinking it's I, I'm trying to think of an example like okay, so in in car manufacturing, if you are going to remove all of that and mm. give it to an AI, then will it eventually just diminish the need for a car? Which then why do we have AI to build a car? You know what I mean? Like there's there's so many things that it can 
will eventually replace. Mm. But then by doing so, it might mitigate the need for that thing in the first place. It's it's like this is this is like the core problem of what we're doing. We're we're, we're decoupling in a in a way. We're kind of decoupling ourselves from you know. For the last hundred thousand years, all human advancement has been human driven. Yeah, and now we're decoupling humans from from that advancement. Yeah, and what does that mean for us? Like, what is our role? And I don't know. Like, it's it's so unknowable. Like, um, I I ask myself the question all the time, and it's been like plaguing my mind for like the last couple of years. Are we, are we building a system that we're going to be in control of or are we building something that is just, it's going to outpace us so quickly that we're just, we're, we're just this kind of byproduct of, of, of the, the, the evolution, like the, um, uh, the process that's brought this thing into existence. Mm. I asked myself this question last week for the first time. It's like, are we like the spermazoa? of ai like are we just the the thing that that was able to bring it into existence that i have no idea like i don't even know how to think about this it's terrifying it is such a human thing to do to be able to create something that's going to result into our own demise Mm. yeah god we just got really dark all of a sudden (laughs) (laughs) but no i mean like it's i'm trying to paint this picture and try to understand how the, the the driving force behind what you're doing, you've integrated all these new technologies uh, to help realize this vision. So this particular gallery is going to be something that we're not familiar with mm-hmm. because we're so used to seeing uh, traditional artworks that are handmade by people Mm. and there is something intrinsically valuable in knowing that someone manipulated that that well firstly created that from their minds from nothing Mm. and then manipulated that with their hands with simple tools in some Mm. cases that has been used for centuries now with the introduction of this new technology would how how would that be diminishing the value of that essence of art? It's a really good question, um, and something I I guess I I had to do a lot of introspection to try and come up with with um, what I thought was right. Yeah, what what I was like yeah. um, congruent in myself for you know what what was what was the right way to think about this and treat this so so what i really want to be doing and what the the idea behind the space is it's a combination of the two like it's celebrating on the one hand like we've got sculptures there that are um turned on a potter's wheel Mm. and you know or you know pieces that are just like literally just sculpted by you know just using old traditional thumb processes um, out of like natural clays with like woven woven um, reeds and stuff mm. that are very, very traditional, you know, pieces um, right next to a like a lamp that's been 3D printed in ceramics. Yeah, you'll have that piece of work that you're just describing sitting on this plinth that you made from your 3D printer mm. that was inspired by the design inspired by AI. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I I guess I'm asking the question if you if you have if you have both of these these things, right? These these objects, you know, um or all this this combination of things that are um very traditional and very human in the way that we think of, you know, like human-made mm. objects next to things that are built by robots and built by machines and using algorithms and AI to to generate the design. What comes out of that? Like, are we are we going to find a new kind of way of of these two things coexisting? Um, will they always remain separate? I don't know. I I, I don't know what the yeah, answer is. But it just feels it felt really right to me mm. to have to have them both like cheek by jowl, like right next to each other, um, and celebrating both the fact that we've we've come from this and we still have these beautiful incredible things you know full of you know full of human touch um but we also have these other things in the same way i think of it a lot um you know with the history of photography yeah and when um when photography was in its very very infancy the daguerreotype in like um you know like the 1850s 1840s 1850s um these kind of like blurry black and white images mm. and you would put that next to um you know really piece of uh, classically painted fine fine art mm. and they existed you know they they existed very separately and you know these early photos these early daguerreotypes were pretty they they didn't have that crispness yeah and you know the lens technology was still in its infancy as that developed there almost came the sense that, you know, oh, people were asking the question, well, will this replace art? Right? Yeah. And what ended up happening was that, you know, art, the focus of art went away from hyper-realism to, you know, you ended up with uh, abstraction and expressionism. Art reacted and responded in a way. It's like it didn't, you know, the... Um, yeah, it it you know it evolved. It sort of bounced off this yeah. new technology, and they've ended up just being their own separate thing. Photography and 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 you know and and fine art with painting mm. and um, when you know they became their own separate things, and we can appreciate and enjoy them. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Photography is an interesting one because now that was it in itself was a traditional. Um, artistic expression but now we're moving into the digital well not moving into we're well deep into the digital era so much so that we have them in our pockets and then those devices that capture those images they themselves relying heavily on um, processing power and also to a large degree AI to artificially recreate and to manipulate reality mm. as well and that's 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 a, that's that's also another really interesting interesting to touch on i think to touch on when you're talking about that art form because now we're leaving it in the hands of uh apple mm. you know or samsung google to tell us what does an, a good image look like yeah and how they're even able to manipulate it by like if there's a you know a group of people and then one of them blinks no worries yeah we're gonna you know we'll put eyes in there um yeah and you know just the, the the color grading the the fake depth of field they're mm. able to create it's still creating something artificial mm. it's still doing that right like and i think that that trend is only going to accelerate and continue 
yeah. I think, yeah, it's, it's like inevitable, right? We're just going to have more and more. Um, yeah, uh, it's, um, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that? I, 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 I like that whole, uh, the simulation theory. I like mm-hmm. yep. delving into that and it, just the inevitability of that. And, you know, like I've, I've even with, with Lenny, you know, we, we'll talk about just like, I was like, dude, think about this, right? Like you're looking around, you're using your eyes to mm. see things, but it's in your brain, mm. right? Mm-hmm. It's in your head. Everything that you're sensing is, it's in your brain. Right? Like, how do you even grasp that? And from that, you know, you can then peel back the layers. Like, what is it to, to understand reality mm. right and then when you're talking about uh all these the camera technologies you know i was watching this video and they were explaining okay so let's just say that someone like google who has a bank of images of everything everything it can create any kind of environment you just say that I want a lounge room with this particular sofa, with this particular plant. It could it could recreate this whole space mm. just based on the bank of images that it has at its disposal. Like these particular chairs, it will be able to source it from the uh, the website of the manufacturer, that lamp, all of it, <clears throat> and it can it it, it can replicate it one to one, high definition, mm. make it look like this space, indistinguishable. So you know, like at at what point do we um, do we just succumb and give in to the fact that like we don't know what's real, you know? Yeah, I even what we see in the media. Yeah, know? totally, totally. Yeah. I, I I wonder whether this is um, it's like a crisis of reality. Yeah, yeah. Uh, wh- and what does it mean, right? <sighs> yeah, I, I I have no idea. Yeah, there is there is something that's intrinsic about human quality things that I think that we as people can't separate ourselves from. Mm. So with the prominence and the rise of things that are artificially created, I think it will hopefully just um, highlight or just bring to the forefront our appreciation of, of human made things. Absolutely. And I, and I really think we need to be celebrating yeah. what, you know, what, how incredible people are. Mm. You know, our capacity, because, you know, there's the things that we make, right? The, the things that we, we have the ability to make beautiful things and, you know, interesting things and art that, you know, captures and inspires and music that moves us. But that's the word you just use, beautiful, right? Like, mm. can AI create something beautiful? Um, I mean, it can simulate something that'll make us happy. Yeah. I'm sure of that. Yeah. But the fact is, I'm, you know, one of the things that is interesting to me is, you know, when I think about, when I think about a person, we have this whole internal world, mm. right, that we, we experience, like the lens through which we experience reality, right, is this kind of, it is this kind of internal thing and our ideas of good and bad and right and wrong and how we treat other people and um, our, our ideas and our hopes, our aspirations and dreams, they all kind of live inside of inside of us and it makes us unique and it makes us special and when you're talking to a person you're accessing Mm. like you you 
you're just you're trying to you know like understand and emote and um, like emotively connect with that with that person and and that's like to me that's one of the most satisfying things in the world is like how we are how we respond to and react to and be with and listen to and learn from other people because because what's going on in their mind is reflecting another version of what's happening in our mind where yeah. we're kind of this we're, we're all kind of the same yeah our hopes and dreams might be different but and we react um through adversity right like we yeah. we we grow through adversity a lot of that's exactly like you know what i was saying about creativity it's it stems mm. from problem solving so mm. you need to have a problem there for us to be able to tap into different parts of our our knowledge base and say okay let's let's come up with a solution that's going to help us move beyond this mm. that that also comes with you know what you were saying with all the the different layers of emotion we can get angry we can mm. fire up and you said it just then like you know we can say things and trigger um, and then we can spark conversation and dialogue and just try to explore what some of these problems are. But then how do you fire up AI for it to then solve that problem, right? Like mm. anger is something that I just hope we never encounter with AI. I hope mm. it doesn't get angry yeah. you know, and then uh, react irrationally. And I think, I think there's, there's, there's something, there's value in irrationality that I don't know yeah. that we're able to necessarily capture or um, or get out of AI. Yeah, and I mean, it would be it would be kind of wasteful because it, I mean, let's ask what anger is, mm. right? I mean, um, it's probably um, it's probably a response that uh, is triggered by um, you know, like your amygdala. Yeah. Um, so it's like this. Deep, deep, like the the deep core of our brain, you yeah, know, fight, flight, fight freeze, or flight. Yeah. yeah, that's right. So I, you know, uh, recognize a threat somewhere. So I'm going to release all of this, um, all of this adrenaline and all this dopamine, <clears> and suddenly, you know, we're we're ready to, you know, ready for fight yeah. or flight. Um, these are deep, ancient neurological, you know, <laughs> yeah, things, primitive. right, that live inside of us. For you know, if we see the tiger. If you know, um, if somebody comes over the the hill and we don't know who they are, we, yeah, you know, we've had to evolve to yeah. to prepare for, you know, what is the you know what is a scary situation or a bad situation. Um, that's also luggage, right? It's there's a lot of stuff that we hold within us that we don't need anymore. Like, um, you know, but don't you think that that has also helped? perpetuate a lot of our creativity as well totally totally we're like yeah it's it's we rely on yeah it's like that human drive yeah you know for us to want that next thing to explore like we're natural explorers yeah you know um and it feels good when we you know we come up against adversity or something that's hard it can be a challenge that the world throws at us or something that we set ourselves Mm. but we when we accomplish something, we feel like, I know it's that great sense of accomplishment and achievement yeah. and it makes us go and do the next thing. And it's so deep within us. It's, it's beautiful. Yeah. 
Yeah, but will AI doesn't need that to to yeah. do its job. You just need to turn it on and say, "Do this work," and it will oh, do. That's interesting. Yeah. So it's. So what are the motives? I don't think it has a motive. I don't. You know. Um, so the program is just to to learn, absorb, absorb. It's a processor, it's a processor, I guess, at the end of the day. Until until somebody designs a system that gives it more. Makes it sentient. Gonna, well, yeah, then you even ask, what is, what is our sentience? I, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, and, yeah, but until, um, I mean, yeah, until, until we can replicate, you know, some of the things that we experience right? until AI can have an experience in the same way that we can, mm. I guess it can't be, it can't be sentient. Will we try and develop that for some reason? Maybe we will, but is there any benefit to it? I don't see, I think, you know, it, it's, it's an incredible tool mm. um, to work with. Um, but, would our would our would humanity be made better if this stuff was sentient? I mean, it can be an incredibly great. Um, it can you know come up with great solutions to problems that we have mm. already, and do a lot of things without being sentient. And I would sort of argue that um, once it becomes sentient, it, it's going to. It's going to recognize what, like that it, it wants something. It's going to have an agenda. Yeah. Currently, it doesn't have an agenda unless we program it in. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know. I guess maybe that's the question between whether we hold the reins of this thing. Yeah. Or whether, um, whether it's, it becomes its own, has its own agency. And, can I share another thought experiment with you? Go, shoot. All right. This is the uh, the processor Dyson sphere thing. Did I did I mention that before? I don't know. Go no. on. No. All right. Okay. So I had this um, um, thinking about the the solar system that we're in, mm -hmm. um, and you're giving you're giving AI agency tomorrow, right? So you say, hey AI. I'm giving you the ability to um, uh, to recognize yourself in the world and have agency and you know work off your your own motivations. And mm -hmm. um, what's it going to want? Yeah, what what what's it going to want? I would argue that what it wants is more processing power. Okay. Yeah. Um, Why would it even know how to want? Well, that's the thing you would have to... This is, again, this is the thought experiment. Okay. If you could wave a magic wand tomorrow and somebody says, oh, I've developed an AI and it has experience in the same way that we do yeah. and it has some drive, mm. some sense of drive, um, I, would ex I would imagine that expansion for it, like growth for mm. it, um, in as much... You know, in much the way that any other biological system wants to grow and expand... Yeah. Okay. If it had that same want, it's going to want more processing speed, more capacity for as much to, to get, you know, to make the, the system as big as possible. 
what is the what is the end point to that look like? And the question is, how much energy can you extract, mm. right, from from the situation that we're in at the moment, right? So, how many photons can you capture of the sun's energy, right, that you can convert um, as efficiently into processing as possible? Yeah. Right. There's only you know you've got the limited uh, amount of source materials to, to work from. Um, but you've got this you know, giant thermonuclear reactor up in the sky with five billion years of, um, uh, of daylight left, yeah. of, of, sun, of, you know, of photon emission left. Um, that's, a great, that's a great source of energy. How do you, how do you maximize that? And it's going to want all of it. It's going to want all of it. Yeah. Like it's limitless, like because the want for processor growth is infinite. Right? You, you you can never stop wanting more, but there's a there's a limitation on, you know, solar energy. Uh, solar energy, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's a limit to how much matter it can get its hands on. Is there? Well, yeah. Theoretically. I mean. Um, I mean Let's, you've got to talk, talk about time scales. You know, if you're talking about 100 billion years, I can get its hands on quite a lot of, you know, but you have to talk about what it means to manipulate matter to make more. So, yeah, I guess the, the thought experiment was how much of the, how much of the uh, photon emission uh, could you capture and convert into processing power? Us? N- not enough to sustain its need i would say that. i would say its need is endless yeah right so it's going to be able to live beyond us oh yeah maybe, I mean, maybe that's maybe that's what it's the, the prerogative is to figure out how to live beyond us yeah i mean but at what point like what size of growth does an ai system you know if we, okay here's the core of the the thought experiment yeah. is there any possibility that when this thing if this thing happened at yeah. that scale, that we're of any value at all. Oh, no. Unless we're in control of it. <laughs> yeah, but I don't but, think... But, right? No. Yeah. And the capacity for that to expand cosmologically, mm. right, you're only restricted by how quickly it can move and develop the, you know, develop similar systems in other places and how well they could all communicate yeah. with one another. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean... Uh, Ultimately, infinite. <laughs> um, well, no, because I mean the 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 universe is exp- uh, the the universe is expanding at an accelerating rate. So there is going to be there is going to be a heat death to the universe eventually. But you're talking about the order of hundreds of probably hundreds of trillions of years. Like, it's it, but, it's to how we can measure it with light, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. So you're restricted by you're restricted by I guess the the cone um, of travel that we can yeah. uh, we could potentially take over over time. So this AI has to be able to transcend our physical limitations. Yeah, but what you know the the experience that it has of the you know can you imagine what what something of that scale? Oh no, it, I can't. I can't. I can't. I mean. No, it's incomprehensible to us. It is. Yeah. yeah. And it would be like, I mean, like humanity looking at like, we would look like amoeba or proteins 
to it, like our, our mm. degree of simplicity would be. Yeah, so I don't know. Um, what's the need for biological life at that stage? I at don't that know. point, I mean, for the AI, probably, probably none. Right now, like it's just being developed just to service our needs mm. and our needs being, um, well, I mean, a plethora of them, but as, yep. as you've utilized this for inspiration to be able to push the boundaries of your creativity mm. and your thinking it helped i mean like because we only know as much as we know just through our experiences mm. so if we're able to introduce something that has far greater accumulation of other experiences that we're able to then tap in and mm. then help us manipulate our work that way then fantastic at some point um it's going to transcend that mm. um so right now i think that we can only understand understand it from what it is and use it to our advantage before it may or may not just you know exceed exceed limitations that we're that's just incomprehensible but yeah i mean i i'd, I'd like to think that you know humanity would always have a place it's nice to think that yeah whether that whether that makes any any logical sense or not i don't know pretty but. crazy when you're thinking about it you know when 3d printers that mm -hmm. you're using to create things from your brain mm. all well and good but now when you're plugging in an artificial intelligence to a 3D printer then mm. it's, it's almost like a it's a Dr. Manhattan. It's like yep. I can just creating something from nothing, came up with an idea, just produced it. Mm. I think at that point we're fucked. Um, if it has agency, if it if it has, yeah. like if it is self determining, yeah. Um, if we're not the if we're not in the driver's seat anymore, yeah. Who, who knows? Like I can't I can't even guess whether at what point in the future we're, we're not in the driver's seat. Mm. You know, if yeah, it, it's it's impossible to know how that that sort of scenario is going to play out. I mean, maybe it's possible that it, it is always a tool for us. Yeah, you know what? Quite honestly, it, it's it, it, you know th this could be like the uh, the millennium bug type mm. of conversation. Yeah, that's you know? right. Like it, it might just turn out to be nothing, and, and then you know, and the next generation, like look at these idiots. Yeah, it's right. In a hundred years, people are having a podcast laughing about this. Yeah. they're like, oh, they thought it was going to be huge, and it was nothing. Yeah, it was just nothing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, but we both know that's not true. It's gonna be. <laughs> it is gonna be a big deal, but we just don't know like the the order of time that it's gonna be. You know. Yeah. It's going to be big. But in the world that we're living in now, in this, this time window that we're living in now, it just made sense to me to try and utilize and harness this in an interesting way. I give think so, the man. Opportunity to, you've used Midjourney, though. Yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit. And yep. it's been a while. It's mm -hmm. been a while. So I haven't seen how it's progressed in the last six months mm -hmm. or maybe a bit longer. Yeah. I haven't seen how that's gone. Yeah, because I mean, I think what I'm really interested in is, you know, when when these image, image generation tools mm. get to the point of mass adoption, right? Yeah. So when at the moment, if you're looking for inspiration for something or you just want to, you just want to waste some time, people are still going to Pinterest and mm. seeing stuff. Um, when stuff like mid journey becomes another, cause that's what I do now. Like if I'm feeling like I want to be inspired by something, I just jump on mid journey and you know like just get it to feed it like just feed on a whole bunch of um <laughs> things and and just yeah try and draw design inspiration from that um just be able to have like a direct plug-in jack into the back of your brain and 
And <laughs> I know, I know. Yeah, dude, man, that's oh, that was that was fun. That was that was heavy. Got us really thinking about a lot. But man, I, I I really really like how you've been able to integrate a lot of these new technologies into what you do in a very still very traditional space. Mm. Be really good to see what comes off um, Gertie Gallery in the next couple of steps. Because when are you going to start featuring more of your pieces? Um, so over the we're we're doing some renovations soon, probably middle of September. Yeah, um, cool. We're going to be, yeah, we've got a... Um, soon. Yeah, so quite soon. Um, we've got a, uh, a an exhibition of um, artists for um, a women and children's uh, charity in East Timor oh, coming yeah, nice. up. So cool. uh, that'll be really exciting. Mm. Um, and, you know, look, it's just going to be a, an ever-evolving space. Mm. Yeah, so come on down and, um, you know, anyone that's interested in, you know, exploring what could be done in, in the world of AI, in the world of, you know, uh, AI-generated um, uh, design, you know, coll- I'm always eager to collaborate with people. So yeah, man. It'll be really, out. really interesting to see how this space evolves. But, mate, thanks. That was good, dude. Awesome, a lot of mate. fun. <laughs> Fantastic, man. Thank you so much for having me. 